in this setting. Sitting here like this, I, uh, I feel like I ought to say something like, uh, I'm Robert Osborne. Tonight's presentation of A Christmas Carol, starring Alistair Sims. It's, it's very common uh, to hear Christian teachers and preachers uh, say something like this. As, as Christians, our joy should not be based on circumstances. You ever, you ever heard anything like that? You know, our, our joy should not be circumstantially based. Or our joy should not be dependent on circumstances. Something like that. And statements like that are made, and, and we nod our heads. And, I, and I, we nod our heads, I think, because we, we know what they mean. We know what they mean. At least we think we know what they mean. And, you know, the scripture says rejoice always. Rejoice always. So our joy shouldn't be dependent on, on whether we got the job or not or how the career is going or whether things in the family are as they ought to be or, or uh, you know, or whether we're sick or whether we're well. And that, that's what they mean. And when they, when they give examples, we, we have to agree with the examples given. Uh, our joy shouldn't be, um, should be a constant that's not subject to the normal ups and downs of, of life. Or, or it shouldn't be subject to the ups and downs of a, of a week or a, or a month or a season a, a, of life. And, and so it's, but I've got to say, when I hear that, uh, when I hear it stated like that as a principle, our joy should not be based on circumstances. I, I, it just doesn't, I think we overstate the case. It just, it just take it at face value. Um, because it seems, if you think about it, all, and this is what I want to say tonight, all, all true joy is dependent on our circumstances. All of it. No, nobody in hell, for example, to, well, to take the most extreme example, nobody in hell is happy or joyful. That's safe to say, isn't it? Why? Circumstances will not allow for it. It's just impossible. Uh, there's only weeping, according to our Savior, only weeping, gnashing of teeth. He says again and again. And, and to take the other extreme, no one in heaven can be genuinely unhappy or unjoyful. Why? The circumstances won't allow for it. The psalmist prays to God in Psalm 16. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forever. All right, well, that's in heaven. What, what about we're commanded to rejoice here and now? How do, how do we do that? And why, why are the, what are the circumstances? Well, let me, let me just tell you three circumstances, and I'm going to call them circumstances, of my own life that give me joy right now, before heaven. Apart from that, and I'm calling them circumstances because they're they're true. Of, these are circumstances that are true of me, but they're not true of everybody. So they're not unique to me, but they are true of me and not everybody. So I'm calling them circumstances. Well, here's here's one, and I, I could give you ten or twenty or you know lots of them, but I just want to just to establish that point that that my joy at least is dependent on circumstances. Let me give you one. 
God, I'm going to give you three, but here's the first. God has made himself known to me in the person of Jesus Christ. God has made himself known to me in the person of Jesus Christ. It, if you know my story and how I came to Christ, you, you might remember that the prayer I prayed, this was really at the heart of why, what motivated me to come to the Lord. If, if, there, if there was a God and he could be known in a personal way, this is my reasoning as, a, as an unbeliever, as soon to be a believer. If there is a God and he could be known in a personal way, what could be better than knowing in a personal way, like one person would know another, the creator of the universe? That, that's what I asked myself, and my answer was, nothing could be better than that. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time. But the New Testament agrees that with me that there was, there's nothing better than knowing God, and it teaches that God can only be known through Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking, where does it say that? Well, the Apostle Paul, he's talking about bagging up all his religious credentials and saying, I'll trade it all. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I didn't know that verse, but I was, I was living that verse. I told myself there's nothing, there could be nothing better than knowing God. And so that's what I told God, and that's what God did. He made himself known to me. You know, this week I thought, I was thinking about this. I've been looking to the, forward to this. You know, I haven't gotten to teach the church for, it seems like, a long time. But I was thinking about this uh, message, and I was thinking of how ironic it was that uh, even though I know God in a personal way, I, I no longer use, uh, well, I don't know that I ever did much, but I, do, I don't use certain uh, terms of familiarity that are overly familiar with, with God. Like, like, for example, I don't know that I ever did this, but I, I would not talk about uh, the big guy upstairs or uh, you know the man upstairs or something like that because although I know him and he is my Abba Father, for those of you who know the, know the, the verse, you know, the teaching, and I know I can approach him at any time with full confidence that he's going to receive me as a beloved son, and he, and he tenderly takes me in when I need him to, and he, he withholds no good gift from me. I, you know, he delights in blessing me, and I, I know all that. Uh, nevertheless, I am, I, I've learned, because as one person comes to know another, they, they just learn the lay of the land and how things work, and, and they, know, they know the other person. And I know I am for, although I know God, I am forever his worshiper and he is forever worthy of my worship. And that's never going to change. It's not an equal friendship, is it? And I, I wouldn't call him the big guy upstairs or, or <laughs> why not? Because I, I know him and I know that's not the way to start a conversation with him. Uh, and if you think about it, that's just the sort of thing you would find out if you actually came into a relationship with somebody and got to know somebody. 
You know, I, I, I wouldn't call my own earthly dad my, by his first name. I would never do that. Why wouldn't I? Because I knew him. And I knew that things would not go well after that. If I said, hey, Ernie. No. No, I, I knew him. And although there's something, you know, there's dad, I call him dad. I, in later years, I call him pop. I, it's a term of endearment and intimacy. I call him pop sometimes. But, but there's also an element of respect and there's an element of acknowledgement that was important to him. And, and, uh, and it's because I, I knew him. Now, I, I, I try not to get above my pay grade when it comes to making judgments about things that I don't, I'm not in charge of judging. But, you know, when I hear somebody say the big guy upstairs or, or something like that, I, uh, my radar kind of goes off and I think, okay, well, that's good. You're a, well, I, you might be like this. This way I think, okay, good, you're a theist. That's good, good. Glad I don't have to go through that. You know, those <laughs> you're a theist. You believe in, in, in God. But, but you know, I, I'm kind of thinking you might not know him. Um, anyway, that's something that I have right now. I, God has made himself known to me in the person of Jesus Christ, and that yields a joy <laughs> that can't be taken away, that is not um, diminished by lesser circumstances in my life like my health or my career or, or things like that. And this matter of knowing God is at the core of, of uh, uh, Christmas, of the Christmas event. John 1, and the word is going to be in a, in a reading we'll do later. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation. No, and we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. That's Jesus. He has made him known. So the scripture says this is, this is right at the core of this Christmas event. God has made himself known. You know, I, just to say a few words about that, how, how did I know? I, how do I know I know God? Well, that God was making himself known to me was discernible to me really within days of that when I came to him in prayer, in a sincere prayer, uh, and really undeniable within weeks. I, new things started happening. Reading the Bible uh, was like uh, trying to drink. In those early days, I was trying to drink from a fire hose. <laughs> it was just so much. The sense of truth of it was just overwhelming to me. Something was clearly going on. Uh, I'd have to put it down sometimes. I'd blow a fuse. Let, and it wasn't like that before. Before the, the, before the Bible was an was a inexhaustible fount of boredom. Like it just it couldn't, it just bore me to tears. And now I'm drinking it up. And I had, I had this new concern in me to please God, a new concern about sin. Where'd that come from? And, and, I, and I had it because it felt like a hindrance to my knowing God. And so my circumstances had changed, and with it, like I said, a joy that uh, couldn't be taken away by the lesser circumstances in my life. Let me, let me give you another one, just a second one. A second circumstance of mine that gives me joy. My sins are forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. 
My sins are forgiven. All the sins I've committed, I'm committing now in terms of attitude or whatever way, in a way I'm not aware of now, or will commit. Acts 10, to him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives, now receives, forgiveness of sins through his name. And before I came to Christ, I really didn't understand the depth of my sin problem. I, I didn't really understand it at all. But I came to understand that my sin, already baked into the cake, toothpaste already out of the tube, had caused an absolute breach between me and God and put me in a basic posture of, of enmity against God and shielded me off from anything I might ask for or expect Him to do for me. Isaiah 59, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. And, and it goes downhill from there, with the, the biblical teaching. Separated from the giver of life, the outcome of that separation is death. Romans 6.23, first part, the wages of sin is death. And the mere and physical death wasn't the end. It's not the end of the problem either. I came to learn. Hebrews 9, it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. So Jesus, not only the Savior of all who will take him as Savior, he's also the judge of all mankind. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, with, whether good or evil. You know, a self-righteous person might imagine that, oh, that's fine, I'll, I'll be fine, I'm a good person. Isaiah 64 tells me that even my righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Now, how could that be? How could my righteous deeds be it like a filthy garment well partly because our motives are always mixed they're never pure they're always tainted by pride or advantage or covering for hypocrisy or something and jesus looks at the the judge the righteous judge he looks at the heart which i learned the news gets worse and worse the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things desperately sick who can understand it Jesus warned the Pharisees, who were the most religious of a very religious people. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. Every careless word, can you imagine? How many times in the past couple of months have, have you wanted to take something back that you said? You, you want to say, well, that was what I said before. That was too harsh. It was, that's not really the way I feel about it. I, I was mad. I was aggravated. Or that wasn't quite true. Or that, that was over the top. I'm not, that, or that, that was gossipy. I wish I hadn't have said that. Or that didn't come out right. 
And that, but Jesus says every careless word. And he said similar things. I won't. You'll, you may remember the passage. He said similar things about lust. I mean, about anger. None is righteous. The Bible says. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And so against that backdrop, here's this new circumstance in my life. If you, My sins are forgiven by God through Jesus. Right now. Right now. And no separation between me and God. And my, my sins are removed as far as east is from west. And, and once again, it's because of this Christmas event, the incarnation, the enfleshment of God in Christ Jesus. But uh, from uh, Matthew 1. But as he, Joseph, this is about Joseph, as he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for which means Jehovah saves, for he will save his people from their sins. Then verse John 3, you know that he appeared, that's the incarnation too, <coughs> excuse me, he appeared in order to take away sins. Judgment to come. Romans 8, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's my situation regarding my sin. That's my circumstance. And it yields joy. <laughs> it puts other circumstances in their place that could otherwise rob me of joy. But they pale in comparison. They get small. And let me tell you a third one, just to, just to make the point. Third circumstance gives me real joy. I have eternal life. Right now. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, what's that mean? He, right now. Not will get, has eternal life. Present tense. Present possession. It's not a voucher to turn in later for eternal life. It's life itself, eternal right now. And by the way, eternal means to last forever. Something can't be lost. If it, if it could be lost, how could it be If it could be lost, how could it be something that lasts forever? Let's see if Grandma could do it. If you, wouldn't it be nonsensical to say you have eternal life, but be careful you don't mess it up, you don't lose it. Does one lover tell another, "I'll love you forever, unless and until you do something to"? Pile it up. But right now, my love for you is eternal. I saw, 
I saw a wedding vow somewhere. I don't, I don't think I was at this wedding, but I think I just read it online. But the wedding vows said very, very um, non-traditional. The wedding vows, instead of uh, till death do us part, it said as long as love shall last. Wow, I think, what's the point? <laughs> if I went to a wedding and, they, and they, that was the vow, as long as love shall last, I'd lean over to and whisper to Robin, we spent too much on the gift. We... It's, it's eternal. You can't lose it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Again, John 3. John 5 makes the same points. It's testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not guess, not hope. No. And, and by the way, this eternal life, that is, our, uh, if you're in Christ, your present possession uh, must be something different than the promise of resurrection. It's not, they're not the same things. It's something different. Uh, li listen to this exchange between Jesus and Martha at the tomb of her brother Lazarus. And note, note the interplay between these two concepts. One of them, resurrection to come at a future date. We don't know when, long time away. And the present possession of eternal life. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? In other words, he says, Martha, yes, you're right, but you're missing something. You're right that your brother will be bodily and physically raised up at the last day with all who have believed in Christ when I return to establish my kingdom. But, but he says, everyone who has believed in me also has a spiritual life within him that death cannot touch, can't affect. The body they may kill, but my spirit, who I am at the deepest level, has already been infused with eternal, uh, the eternal life of Christ, and death can't touch it. So that being absent from my body, which is physical death, it was only means presence with the Lord in a way that could never have happened while I was in my fallen, decaying vessel of clay. Do you, do you know the name Amy Carmichael? Amy Carmichael, famous uh, missionary uh, into India. She died in 1951. She wrote um, many, many books. And I want to read you something from one of them. This little piece called, this is not the whole thing, just a couple of paragraphs, called The Gold Cord. Her name was Lala. She was five years old, a Brahmin child of much promise. She had sickened suddenly with an illness which we knew from the first must be dangerous. We couldn't ask a medical missionary to leave his hospital a day and a half distant for the sake of one child, but we did the best we could. 
We sent an urgent message to a medical evangelist trained in Nahihor who lived near her, and he came at once. He arrived an hour too late. But before he came, we had seen this. It was in that chilly hour between night and morning. A lantern burned dimly in the room where Lala lay. There was nothing in that darkened room to account for what we saw. The child was in pain, struggling for breath. Turning to us for what we could not give, I left her with Mabel Wade and Panabal, and going to a side room, cried to our father to take her quickly. I was not more than a minute away, but when I returned, she was radiant. Her lovely little face was lighted with amazement and happiness. She was looking up and clapping her hands as delighted children do. And when she saw me, she stretched out her arms and flung them round my neck as though saying goodbye in a hurry to be gone. And then she turned to the others in the same eager way, and then again holding out her arms to someone whom we could not see. She clapped her hands. Had only one of us seen this thing, we might have doubted. But we all three saw it. There was no trace of pain in her face. She was never to taste of pain again. We saw nothing in that dear child's face but unimaginable delight. We looked where she was looking, almost thinking we could see what she saw. What must the fountain of joy be if the spray from the edge of the pool can be like that? When we turned the next bend in the road and the sorrow that waited there met us, we were comforted. Words cannot tell how tenderly by this that we had seen when we followed the child almost to the border of the land of joy. So we could ask this, did that child die? Well, physically, of course, she did. Her body certainly died. But what the missionary saw suggested that who and what this little girl was at the deepest level, what she was apart from her body, her spirit, her soul, that part of her that really made her Lala merely step from one world into another, from the deathbed into the arms of Jesus, with no interruption of spiritual life at all. eternal life now and forever. Resurrection of the body to come later. A few minutes ago, I, I read half a verse to you, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. There's the rest of that verse. Here's the rest, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that gives me a deep and abiding joy that no bad news about my body can take away. And that circumstance, too, it's embedded in the Christmas event. John 10, the thief comes only, this is Jesus talking, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came 
That's the incarnation. He's not, about, he's not saying, I came from Nazareth. I came from Galilee. He's talking about, I came from heaven. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So I, so I argue that all joy, all of my joy at least, is based on circumstances in, in my life. Admittedly, they're huge. Knowing God through Christ. Sins forgiven. Eternal life, present possession. But still, I call them circumstances because they are not, they're not true of, of most people. Knowing God, most people, many people at least, not even sure he exists, and some are sure that he doesn't. Well, if you don't know whether God exists, whether he does or not, that's no basis for a relationship. For you to be in a relationship with anybody, you kind of have to believe the other person exists before you can get started. Uh, forgiveness of sins, the most common belief I find about among people, is that uh, if there is a God, he will grant them all the blessings of, of, that could be had in this life and beyond just on their own merits. They don't, they don't really see that there is a need for God's forgiveness. I, I really didn't when I came to this. Is something I came to a little bit later. And they think they'll be found deserving of whatever blessings are to be had. I, I've even met a few people who think that when they meet their maker, it's God who's going to be in the dock because they got some problems with how he's been running things. And most people do not have eternal life. Most people don't have that circumstance. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to Life. Those who find it are few. So the joy circumstance, the joy-giving circumstance of my life, they're, they're, they're not everybody's far from it. So rejoice always, the scripture says. Do, do you have what it takes to do that? Well, you know, if the circumstances of your life are such that they just don't allow for joy, I'm not really going to try to talk you out of that. Or if your joy is grounded in circumstances that, that just can't last forever. Because sin and death are remorseless enemies of everyone, and they'll take everything away unless something is done to stop them. And so, on Christmas Eve... Christmas Eve in the year of our Lord, 2018. This is all I can say. I've got some good news for you. Something has happened. Something has been done about sin and death. Something has been done about the human condition. And it's the same message, the same news that the angels gave the shepherds. On the first Christmas Eve, the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior 
who is Christ the Lord. And they could say to you, unto you has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And how I hope and pray that you can hear it, as Jesus says, with ears to hear. Because it's a fact that God has made himself knowable, whether you know him or not, by sending his own son into our world. He became one of us in time and space and history. We know when, we know where. And you can begin to know God personally by simply welcoming him, receiving Christ into your life this very evening. John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God, your Abba Father. Christ, your brother by adoption. Your sins can be forgiven right now. They're removed as far as east is from west, washed away, scarlet stains in your soul become white as snow, all those biblical pictures. Judgment for them can be cast on Christ who bore them in your stead. You can have eternal life right now. Be your present possession. Gift cannot be lost, can't be taken away. I welcoming, receiving, accepting, believing, placing your confidence in Christ as your Savior. You've never, you've never heard, you've never heard better news than that, and you never will. You've never heard better news than that, and you never will. You've never had a better offer. You can, you can, you can invite and welcome into your life a whole different set of circumstances. I've named only three real relationship with God. Knowing your sins, the forgiveness of sins and knowing that they're forgiven. Eternal life, just for starters. And then, and only then, will you have what it takes to rejoice always. And rejoice you will. Now, and for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, <clears throat> may, may the joy of each person in this place tonight be full. May it be justified. May it be real. Full and justified and real because it flows from the eternal truths and blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give ears to hear tonight, eyes to see the truth of the gospel the historicity of the Christmas event, the incarnation of God in the man, Jesus Christ, to save us, to save a lost and dying world. May joy flow from the glory of knowing you, from the peace of knowing that our sins are forgiven, and in the victory of having eternal life in Christ as our present possession. We pray in the name of him who came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ.
the Savior of all who will have him as such, and the righteous judge of all. Amen.